0: Let's hop into the next one, which easily, 20 minutes, we'll just take care of this one for good. Well, we'll just close the door on answering every question that that might be going around in your head. All right, so this week's spiritual pathway to Jesus is, uh, is scripture. Oh, just give me some grace here because this is challenging to figure out, okay, what are the big ideas when, if you don't know our church, by the way, let me give you a little glimpse. Our church has experienced a massive amount as individuals of spiritual trauma. (laughs) It's, we are, we have become in all the hopefully best ways, uh, definitely a hospital for healing from people who have been mistreated, often at expense of certain verses of the Bible being used as weapons. And so anyways, um, our Bible is the most popular book in earth's history, but most people haven't actually read it, and if they are, and if they have read it, sometimes it's even worse <laughs> because you read it, and you're like, is this really? Like, this is what God's like, and how do I deal with this and this? This is just so complicated, and that's been used, my gosh, that's been used to, to prop up the most horrible sin our country has ever experience. Like, what do we do with this? What do we do with such a complicated book that also is the foundation of much of Christian faith, right? Um, If you, you know, if, if you are a really critical thinker and you read through the scriptures, these thoughts will eventually start swirling around in your head. Even for Christians, I might say, particularly. So let's not ignore them, right? So some of the ideas that come, excuse me, when, when we begin to read the Bible, and I'm just using the Bible as this monolithic term right now, uh, this, this is terrifying, right? I don't know what to do with it. It's overwhelming. The Bible, scriptures just lead to heady arguments and prideful arrogance anyways. It's done more harm than good over the course of history. Besides, I, I don't even know what to trust anymore, What do you even choose to focus on? It's been used to do so much harm. Can't I just pray genuinely to Jesus and try to do the right thing and just kind of move away from that? Because my heart's in the right place. So these are the things that come up. And more. Dozens more. And there's also beauty in it. We'll talk about that in a moment. But they're good questions. But if we choose to say that because the scriptures are difficult or confusing or we've seen them uh, be used to harm, that we are going to to leave them behind and not incorporate them deeply into our life of faith. If we do that, we will miss one of the ways that Jesus wants his spirit to speak to us. Uh, And you'll miss the chance to be a learner and a listener in a fresh way, and you'll miss the richness of an incredible, incredible story that we find ourselves a part of. So encountering the scriptures, yes, it has all of the potential to be the things that I just listed above, and it also has the potential to be a gift that leads us more and more deeply into the person of Jesus. And so that's kind of what I want to talk about, um, because we don't know—we're going to do just a little bit of of theology here, and then we're going to get practical— uh, we are um, an unashamedly and very vocal Jesus-centered church, okay? We've bet the farm on this. It's just who we are. It's, it's everything that we do comes from Jesus at the center, okay? And, and that includes how we understand this story of the scriptures. And so let's just do a little bit of theology. And, and the reason that we do this is not because we just made it up one day. It's because we believe that this is actually what the scriptures tell us about itself, all right? So, so we have this, this long winding story that we'll get to in a moment. I'm not going to take you through the story of the scriptures. We actually do that in just a couple minutes every now and then, which is fun. Dwayne's better at that than me because he can talk shorter. So, uh, so anyways, <laughs> here's what we've got. We've got a movement over the course of hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years, okay, about the story of people wrestling with God. And out of this has emerged quite a sophisticated religious system. Okay? That we, that we see in kind of its heyday. Just right around the year zero. And so, so the world that Jesus enters into. Has a rich, the Jewish world. Has a rich history of um, knowledge of the scriptures. And of God's faithfulness throughout the scriptures. And of what that means that God is about. And so Jesus encounters both his people and his religion. And there is conflict. And there is conflict because Jesus begins to challenge assumptions. Okay? And so as we look at this, uh, it's not subtle. It's quite clear. And, And as we look at this, Jesus begins to redefine what people understand that the scriptures are even meant to be about. And lead to. So he's having a discussion at one point. Um, in the book of John and, and uh, we, he's talking about where people find power and authority and testimony All right, and Jesus says the father who sent me has testified about me himself you've never heard his voice or seen him face to face and you don't have his message in your hearts he's talking to Pharisees who are trying to accuse Jesus of being a heretic because, but he says you don't have his message in your hearts because you don't believe me the one he sent to you and then comes the kicker alright You search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life, but the scriptures point to me. Yet you refuse to come to me to receive this life. So, in the words of Jesus himself, he says, Listen, the story of the scriptures has a point, okay? It has a point. All right? So, we've got this big, overarching story. Of the Bible, okay? But it's going somewhere. Jesus says, the scriptures point to me. They lead to me. They are about me. The original translation, they are about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to receive this life. So Jesus, in his own words, is saying, listen, there is a point, all right? There is a point to the whole story, and it's me. Okay, now this sounds very arrogant, so it's either arrogant or it's it's true. He's either stating something that's true or he's very, very, very off his rocker, and you'll have to decide what you think about that. I suggest you read to develop an informed opinion. but what we get is we get a book and and I heard someone I heard someone uh just recently uh put a Bible up this week and say say this is God (laughs) in the middle of a message. We have God right here. This is God, and that is so untrue. Um, To to think that that Jesus, when he says the Bible, which is the penultimate word of God, points to the ultimate word of God, Jesus, the living word. We have the written word that points to the living word. Um, And to relegate that back and say that this holds God versus that this points us toward God is very problematic. And the reason that it's problematic is if you believe that the Bible is um, simply the ultimate authority on a big scale with no qualifications, then you use the Bible to authoritatively do horrible things that look nothing like Jesus. Okay? So we can't just say that the Bible is blank. Because the Bible is not a flat book, it's a dynamic book, and it points somewhere. And it points to the person of Jesus, and particularly, not just the person of Jesus, but the life and the teachings of Jesus that ultimately culminate in the death of Jesus that reveals the character of God. And so what we see on the cross, the ultimate point in the life of Jesus, and in the story of the scripture, is we see a God who absorbs all the sin and violence of the world and refuses to shoot it back. We see a God whose love is so great that God would rather be harmed than harm God's creation. And this is the ultimate revelation of who God is. This is what the the New Testament writers understood. This is who God is. God is Jesus. We have never before seen God, but now God has made himself known to us by sending his Son. The theology of the New Testament is that Jesus is God. It's not that that Jesus looks a little like God. It's that God looks like Jesus in fullness, in completeness, okay? And so when we keep Jesus as like the nice part of God, but then there's all this other stuff, we miss the point, okay? So the Bible points to Jesus, and we keep that. Jesus is the point. The story moves us toward Jesus. But then here's the interesting thing. But then what we do when we encounter the scriptures in healthy ways is we all of a sudden realize that not only is Jesus the point, but Jesus then becomes the lens by which we read in the other direction. So we see that the story points to Jesus, but then once we understand who Jesus is, then we read the story and we see that Jesus is our new interpretive lens to understand how to interpret it all. Does that make sense? Okay. Okay. So it's about Jesus, but Jesus becomes our way of seeing everything else too. So we get in the scriptures over and over, we get um, that the disciples, their eyes were opened, you know, in the ones walking to Emmaus in Luke 24, you know, their eyes were opened and they began to understand the scriptures because Jesus was telling them about how this was what God was up to. And it's not just about Jesus, but even about God's very character. Um, so, so when we read it this way, um, we just find that, that there's a reinterpretation that starts to happen. There's a hindsight clarity that Jesus helps us have, all right? So we have to ask then, how did Jesus interpret Scripture himself? If Jesus is our interpretive lens, then how did Jesus interpret Scripture? Um, oh, by the way, we should before we say this, let's just do a little aside. Everybody prioritizes certain things in the Bible. Don't ever think that anyone just reads the Bible and does what it says. Every single person prioritizes what they think is the most significant in the Bible. Like we don't want to talk about how there are various views of God that contradict each other. There are. It's okay. The Bible can still be inspired. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But it's really okay that we get these different glimpses of God. Everybody has to prioritize. That's why we have Jesus. But everybody prioritizes. So if we're going to prioritize, if we're going to pick and choose what's most valuable, then let's pick and choose what Jesus did. Let's interpret it in the same way Jesus interpreted. Because Jesus interpreted the scriptures all the time. And he prioritized all the time. All right? So, yes. So let's be picky in the way Jesus was picky. Two things to note in that world. Um, and whenever, about, about what Jesus interprets and how he prioritizes. Jesus chooses at any given point that he is um, given authority to speak or, or that he takes the moment to speak and teach Jesus interprets the scriptures through a people-centered lens and a love-centered lens every single time it comes up for an interpretation, okay? So let's, so, so for example, uh, two weeks ago, or yeah, in the service week, we talked about the Good Samaritan story, right? And the Good Samaritan story, clearly, when Jesus is telling it, the Levite and the priest are not the heroes of the story, but they were following the law, which was their scripture, By not touching this Samaritan, by keeping themselves ritually clean, they were abiding by the law of Leviticus that said if you possibly touch a dead body, you are unclean for two weeks. And so so in the midst of this, of what's happening, Jesus is saying, I'm telling you the story. They faithfully were following their scripture, but they're not actually the hero there because the person was more important than the law in that moment, right? So Jesus prioritizes people. And when he says, who's the better neighbor, right? The Samaritan one. In, in the book of Mark, his, uh, Jesus is walking with his disciples, and they're eating, they're picking grain during the Sabbath, and he gets in hot water because of it, right? He gets in a lot of trouble, and, and we're not going to get into this because these are just touch points, but he tells this story, he gives a reference in the Old Testament, um, and then he says, Sabbath, what? Yeah, right, yeah. Man wasn't made for Sabbath, Sabbath was made for man. Meaning that this law that you've become a servant to is actually intended to serve people. And if it's not doing that, then it needs to be changed. Because people are the point. So do you see, he does this over and over and over again. Um, in in uh, Matthew, Jesus um, says that you've heard that it was said, you know, love your neighbors and hate your enemies. Um, and Jesus says, but, but I'm telling you to pray for your enemies. And now Jesus is, is saying, here's what you've turned the, the law into. But again, he's reinterpreting it because if following the law would mean destroying your enemies, Jesus is saying, Mm-mm. no, Jesus interprets everything through a people-centered lens. So you have to care for your enemies if it, would, if it would lead you to destroy your enemies. You're doing it wrong. It's not the heart of God. Over and over John, in the book of John, right, the woman is cowering who has been brought by a bunch of elders, caught in the act of adultery. The law is clear, and they give it to Jesus. They say, the law says that, you should, that, that we must stone. What do you say? Which is murder, death penalty. And Jesus says, many of you would know this, let whoever is without sin cast the first stone. Jesus prioritizes the person. So Jesus has a person and people-centered interpretive lens that always leads the way because of his compassion. And the second thing, um, whoops, I think I'm supposed to put one of those up here. Oh, you're supposed to see that's so nifty. You see that? I only do that like once a, once a month. Ha, ah, missed it. Uh, okay, so Jesus' interpretations are people centered, all right? And then Jesus' interpretations are love centered. Um, when Jesus is asked, this is not a shocker, right? When Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment? His response in Matthew 22 is all, and, and that's a big deal to actually answer that question. In Hebrew culture, someone would have said, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus would have said, well, blank, and he would have asked another question. That's how Hebrews did it. And Jesus doesn't answer or ask a question in response. I love the question asking of Hebrew culture, but he doesn't. He finally gives them a definitive answer. Well, it's definitive, but it's divided by two because you can't separate it. And so he says, love the Lord. Love. What's the, what's the greatest commandment? Love God with everything you've got. And by the way, don't even think about trying to identify loving God without including loving other people because you can't. So I'm going to list them both as the most important. And then I'm going to say this really radical thing that all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments, which means... That this will lead you to correctly interpret everything else in the scriptures. Radical statements. I don't think we get how radical this stuff is because we've heard it so many times. When Jesus says all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. He's saying that if they are hanging without the love commandment they fall away and they should. I don't know if that makes me a heretic but I think that's what Jesus is saying if they are all hanging there, if if they're not tethered to love, then you're not doing it right. You're not understanding it right. Um, St. Augustine in the uh, 4th century wrote in his book On Christian Doctrine, it's a four-part series, he said, whoever then... Thinks he understands the holy scriptures or any part of them, but puts such an interpretation upon them as does not tend to build up this twofold love of God and our neighbor. Does not yet understand them as they as uh, he ought. So, in other words, if you think you've gotten the scriptures right, but it doesn't look like love for God and love for neighbor being built up in your interpretations, then you don't understand them like you think you do. Um, So, this is not a new perspective, my friends, not at all. so, what on earth do you do with this? It makes it so complicated, right? Like, and yes, this is complicated. So is marriage. So is friendship. So is parenting and work-life balance and being a Philadelphia sports fan. <laughs> like, it's complicated. But, but we know that there's a gift there if we embrace it. We know that there's beauty when we work through it. There's value And this is what we do, right? Jesus believed the scriptures were valuable. He quoted from 24 different Old Testament books in the Gospels. 24 different Old Testament books Jesus quoted from. He believed that they were inspired by God to point people toward him. And he told his disciples to continue to teach what he had taught them, which was what we have as the Gospels, right? So he told them to hold on to it. It was authoritative. And and so, so this story, it remains really valuable to us. I want to say one more thing about the way we hold this value and then I'm going to bring Dwayne up and we're going to riff about a couple of, of issues real quick. Um, the, the kind of crazy, scandalous part about all of this is that God lets his people write the story. Okay? This is why the Bible is so complicated and it's so messy and it looks different when you read different books that were, by the way, written thousands of years apart that have completely different worldviews. It makes complete sense when you understand it through that lens, but, um, but when God lets God's people write the story, you're going to get that flavor and that humanness and that diversity when you dive into the scriptures. That's, what, that's part of what makes it so dynamic and amazing. The Bible, Bible never claims divine dictation, only spirit-breathed inspiration, and there's a difference there. Because the passage that's most often talked about about the authority of the Bible, and it's a beautiful passage, is in the middle of Second Timothy when Paul's writing a letter to his kind of protege, um, son in the faith, Timothy. And he says, he's reminding him about how infancy he's known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. There's so much goodness in there. But scripture being God breathed, that's a literal translation. So, so that's that's the, the word image in, in Greek here that we're given. But here's the thing. I love this being God breathed. Being God breathed does not mean divine dictation. Because guess what? Ah, oh, here we go. Oh, I did it again. Um, in John 20, the disciples get God breathed too. When Jesus sends them out and gives him, gives them his Holy Spirit, he breathes on them. And he says, I'm sending you out. Receive the Holy Spirit. What were they like after that? They were different, for sure. They were still people. They were still human. But they were endowed with the Spirit of Christ in a new way. They had been given the inspiration of God in a way that set them apart in a beautiful and dynamic way. But they continued to have the flavor and the humanness that they always had. We know this. So so the fact that the scriptures are God-breathed does not negate the fact that the scriptures are also humans telling their story of understanding God as it grows and changes through time. And a story of God's faithfulness. It's actually incredible. Um, Okay. So, that being said... um, The scriptures are, we we do believe that the scriptures are inspired, and a part of that inspiration is the fact that they are human, and they help us encounter the way people did the good news of Jesus and express that. So we trust that the story that God allows to be told by God's people will ultimately move us toward Jesus. And that's the point. The point is not to do deep dive theology about the Bible today, although we just did that a little bit. Come on, Um, The point is to help maybe us deal with some of the barriers that make us say, I'm not really going to read the Bible that much because it's just annoying and complicated and frustrating. You can grab that chair, yeah. So, um, so anyways, let's talk a little bit more practically, Dwayne, about uh, three questions and maybe just dialogue about it a little bit that are related. Um, Two, we'll talk about how do we read the Old Testament then in practical ways. Kay. And then what about Paul's letters and what about the Gospels?
1: Yeah. Um, okay, quick answer for all three of those. <laughs> no. Uh, you know, when I was in the 10th grade, Miss Donahue, my English teacher, taught me about foreshadowing. Yeah. And, and foreshadowing is one of those things when you're, when you're 15 years old, you're like, I don't see it, I don't get it, what is happening. And then you read the whole book, and then you go back, and you're like, oh, yeah, now I can kind of see how the author is pointing us towards this thing, it's the right? Red
0: doorknob,
1: and I think we don't, yeah, right. we we <laughs> don't think about foreshadowing when we read history because, like, there's no foreshadowing in history because people in the moment didn't know the future. So here's here's where I'm going with this. In the Old Testament, I what affects me when I think about reading the Old Testament through a Jesus lens is thinking about Jesus as the ultimate fulfillment of that story, and how. Even though we see it as historical in many ways, we also know that it is God breathed, and that God is telling the story that he knows the culmination, he knows the, the climax. And so we we read something like in Exodus, right? The the um, you know the the Israelites escaping Egypt yeah. and and in order to, to have the angel of death pass over uh, you have to sacrifice the Lamb, the Lamb yeah. of God, which will take away your sin and allow you t- mm. to be delivered, right? And you know, so right. we can read that in a totally new and exciting right. way. Right, because we have like, a
0: partial glimpse of what yeah. will one day become ultimate.
1: Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And so, so many of the things that I think we can see in, in the Old Testament, we see that they sort of point, point to that. Um, yeah. Even in the prophets, right? Is this, we, we talked in Genesis a few a few weeks ago, We we did a whole series in Genesis, and there were so many so many themes of redemption in the old testament particularly Mm -hmm. in genesis but that continues throughout even when you when you see the prophets um one of our favorite verses to quote i use this in the bible seminar that i teach is for i know the plans that i have for you from jeremiah right and god through a prophet is telling the 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 israelites i know the plans i have for you plans to give you hope in a future and, and we read that in a different way because we know that the hope in the future is Jesus, that Jesus is the ultimate redemption of the Israelites, yeah. not their deliverance from their captivity in Babylon, which wasn't to come for another 70, 70 years. years but, yeah. but again, it's this whole bigger picture of like, yeah, there is something beautiful coming yeah. in this story, and we can see those glimpses in it.
0: And, and when we get to the... So I'm, I'm glad that you took a positive spin on it because yeah. I, I wanted you to do that because the, the negative spin... The negative spin is when we encounter really like... Good, stuff good, good cup, bad cup
1: here is what we're doing, I guess. <laughs> when I we like encounter the Bible, stuff that doesn't. we're like,
0: this looks nothing like God. Yeah, right. And in the back of our mind, we're like, but we have to make it like God. We have to say that this, is, yeah, this was... I know it looks nothing like Jesus, That the genocide, but... So we're just getting right to it, right? Um, and for a longer, like we just need to say, for a longer riff, like... The, the Old Testament Violence Life Seminar that we do, we'll do it again probably in, in January, um, is a deep dive on all of this. However, if you are caught feeling like you have to argue to defend God's violence when we have the ultimate expression of, G- of God in Jesus... And you find people maybe who are outside of faith who are justice oriented and you're trying to convince them that, yeah, but like, but they were really evil or they really deserved it. And Jesus is there when someone deserves it saying, I forgive you, but somehow maybe telling his people that they're supposed to wipe folks out if they're bad enough. Like we we have this thing that we should not and do not need to be fighting all the time. And here's why. If we understand that the story of God's people is a story of progressive revelation of understanding God, that ultimately gets clarity in Jesus, then we understand that there is a lack of clarity that God's people are wrestling with. We all know times where we've said we feel like we've heard God's voice, and then the person next to us is like, you sure? <laughs> I'm hearing a God's voice saying something different. But people had certain worldviews and certain assumptions about the ways that God acted. We have Psalms that are literally word for word the same worship as Ugaritic gods, and they've swapped out Yahweh's name for it. We have this research. We know that for a long time, people assumed that God was only a warrior until our warrior God became one who let violence be done to him without responding and said, power, power to God looks like the ability to be killed in love anyways. And so, so what, what my point is, is that we believe... In that that as God, there's two things at work. Oh man, this is more life seminar stuff. Um, okay, so so there's two things at work, and one one is called <laughs> one's called divine accommodation. And divine accommodation is just a fancy word to say God is willing to enter into imperfect systems if that's what it takes to help people move toward the perfection of what God's character looks like, okay? So God is willing to enter in to systems that were not at all ready or could receive who God ultimately was. But we also have, yeah, we also have this progressive revelation, which means that people are learning. So this is about what God's doing. Progressive revelation is about people. That's why it's on the... Rev- Um, So that means that more and more, like all the New Testament writers say, you know, like we had a shadow of God, and now we've got God with clarity. And so so we get this combination throughout history of God progressively revealing God's self more and more and more, ultimately in Jesus, and God being willing to enter into a group of people and a culture. But if we believe honestly, and then I'm going to move on, if we believe honestly that God looks in God's most true form like the self-giving, enemy-loving, violence-absorbing Christ on the cross, if that is our ultimate view of God, if God is willing to bear people's sins for the sake of helping them enter into relationship, then part of what we get when we get images of God in the scriptures in the Old Testament that look nothing like Jesus may very well be God's ability to bear his people's sins on them, even if those sins are the misrepresentation of their God. That may make your head hurt, and I don't want to bring people into deeper confusion so we can talk more afterwards or you can take a deep dive into this, but part of God's sin-bearing nature has always been to be willing to be misrepresented at times. And so there are times where we look into the Old Testament and into the Scriptures and we look for the fingerprints of Jesus as God is doing it, and they are all over the place. They're over the place in the prophets, in God's faithfulness, in continuing with his people, but there are times that people do things that look nothing like, nothing like Jesus. And we even have times where God, in Second Kings, where God commands something it looks like and then God later says, because you did this, violence is on your hands and you can't do this. Like, we have these stories. It's just a part of people wrestling and interpreting what God called them to do or not. And so if you're like, well, now I can't trust anything. You can trust that God is actually as good as Jesus looks and there's beauty there. There's beauty there. We have a very high view of the Scriptures, but we can't keep using the Scriptures to, to defend horrible things that we know look nothing like God.
1: <laughs> okay, let's can, keep going. Can you talk a little bit about, um, you've said this a little bit, and you said it earlier today, the, the idea that we don't have a flat view yeah. of Scripture. Yeah. Because we look at a verse like this from Timothy, and all Scripture is yeah, useful, right. all Scripture is God breathed. It is. It is. But, yes. When but now let's, right let's, let's yeah. nuance that a little right. bit, because we talk about, you know, this, this verse in Leviticus versus this verse in Matthew. Right. Right? Yes. Talk yes. a little bit about and that.
0: And so, well, part of it is that Jesus says, I came, I, I didn't come to abolish the law. Everybody said, what are you doing? You're throwing out everything. And he said, no, 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 I'm, I'm fulfilling it. I'm showing you what the full embodiment of what God was requiring actually looks like. It looks more like love. You think it looks like law, but it looks like love. So I, I, I'm not getting rid of it. I'm saying that I'm the fulfillment of it, and I'm bringing in a new way of being, right? So we do understand that, yes, this is part of this, this idea that everything points to Jesus. We do have a dynamic view that says when we're trying to figure out what's true, what's right, what is God, we start with Jesus, and we start with the teachings of Jesus and then the life of Jesus in the Gospels, and then how that was interpreted throughout the New Testament church, and then the context of the greater story. So it's not a flat view. It doesn't mean that God wasn't speaking through the Scriptures. There's so much beauty in all of the Scriptures. We read all of it for that. And it's all valuable in in teaching and rebuking. We can learn. We can learn from both the, the successes and the mistakes of people in the Scriptures. It's a very imperfect book. We can learn all of this stuff in in beautiful ways, um, but but yeah, if you just if you have a theology that says if I can read one sentence that means that I I should argue for it all the time, then you're just going to be arguing all the time, because you can find things God loves the sacrifices the sacrifices that people make are sweet aromas wafting up into the nostrils of God. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Right? Like you've got it right here, friends we've just been we've been been sold a false bill of goods by by the christian subculture that has told us that if you talk about these things it means you don't believe the bible but it's right there it's right there that the scriptures need to be interpreted and they must be interpreted through the lens of jesus if we're to make sense of it and have a consistent god i'd rather have a consistent god than a consistent reading of scripture that treats poetry and historical narrative and um, wisdom literature as the same thing yeah
1: so let's talk about Woo! epistles speaking of genres oh, of the bible yeah. Yeah. so now we get we get paul we get others you know who are writing particularly paul is interesting because yeah. paul never oh, paul never met jesus in the flesh right but he had this amazing well he did well, he did meet, that's true, he, he did. He, he, would argue, there. he would argue he would argue to right. the death that he did that's because true. he had did. a chip.
0: He had a chip on his shoulder about being
1: the 12th apostle. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Um so but I'm just, you know, his his experience was quite different than, than absolutely. the other 12, uh, yes. 12 apostles, but he wrote the majority of our New Testament. So right. we read Paul through the lens of Jesus. Yeah. How does Jesus impact your reading of Paul?
0: Yeah. Well, it's it's interesting because Paul was at at heart, and I don't think you even have to argue for this in any way. Paul was a missionary. And all of Paul's theology that we have is missional theology. Okay? Mm-hmm. So, so what you get is you get the good news of Jesus that Paul experiences. And then all of the letters that we have are Paul saying, in light of this amazing thing that Jesus is, how do we do all of this? Yeah. And someone says, hey, Paul, we've got a problem because you only <laughs> planted the church for six weeks and then you left. Yeah. And if you notice, Paul's first missionary journey, it's a, it's a shotgun, boom, 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 all over there, or machine gun, whatever you want to say. I, I don't like imagery like that. Um, it's, it's, I wanted to say rapid fire, same thing. Yeah. All right, I don't like violent imagery. Um, so anyways, broad. broad, he's scattering the seed, right? There we go, that's a Jesus image. <laughs> so anyways, so what we get is, is Paul is at places for very, very short periods of time. And then all of our letters come because... A lot of crap went down
1: because they're they're yeah. real pra- I, I always think of paul's letters as real practical <laughs> yeah. things it's like hey so, but the second how half do we of deal paul's life
0: this? is yeah. like like three years here yeah. two years here when he goes back on his second trip right. and you can see him settling and maturing and understanding the realities of how complicated this all is yeah. so in the letters what we're given is we're given a glimpse a one-sided glimpse. We don't have the letters from the Thessalonians to Paul. Right. <laughs> so so we, we take this and we say, these are the five things, the only five things that matter in the world. And yeah. it might have been like the Thessalonians are like, hey, everything's going great. But um, these five things, which we're still trying to figure out, <laughs> yes. you know, right. like we have a, a glimpse. So we, we learn it as beautiful. And this does not undermine the authority of it. But we look at it as contextual. That Paul is working with people in a certain time and certain place, and there is so much to gain from it. And there is so much when Paul starts to talk about the character of Jesus, and it's incredible, and when Paul helps people work through stuff. But we take, in First Timothy, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. we take the passage that he says, well, you know, I don't allow women to speak right we should, take it should we do that out of its context yeah. okay. i mean uh,
1: there, are uh, are all there are all kinds of things I and mean, we can talk about that one but like like yeah my point is like the specificity of his advice a is contextual yeah and like, and, and doesn't take B, into account
0: the you it's, know it's temple dealing, of princess right the princess diana <laughs> the temple of the goddess, of the diana, goddess diana right in ephesus yeah. right right where well, right. there was a women-centered cult Right. Right? Where the women would show their devotion to God by adorning themselves with jewelry and fine, like, are you hearing this? hair, yeah. And yeah. so he says, don't have them look like that. People will get confused and think that yeah. we are about, about our Artemis or Artemis or Diana. They're the same, Greek and Roman. Yeah. Like, they're going to get confused right. about that, you know? Like, right. they were supposed to be, women were boisterous in, in their allegiance. And, yeah. and so he's like, calm down. Don't, get con- don't, don't let people confuse your movement. Oh. So I know,
1: I know when I was younger, like, again, reading those, what, w- what, what come to be read as rules, right? right? It's like Paul saying, do this, don't do that. Yeah. We, we tend to read those as rules. And if we do that in absence of the spirit of Jesus behind it, yeah. that's when it can be manipulated. Yeah. So it requires can be used the spirit for, of Jesus. Yes. It, yeah. requires
0: yeah. it requires discernment. Um, it requires, to be honest, it requires some study too. Like we want sure. to be, everything we have is interpretations, because none of you read the Bible in Greek. I don't either, except for very short sections. Um, So so all of us, we're all relying on scholarship on some level already. (laughs) Like we're all relying on scholars' work to do their best, because Hebrew and Greek are completely different languages from English. So Mm -hmm. it's not just like a word for a word, right? It's phrases and imagery like so we are already relying on scholarship so we sh- we should continue to rely on scholarship not in the absence of the spirit right but like right. if there's information to learn let's learn it about the life of jesus and the context of the of the ancient near east yeah the spirit is so beautiful that a child can read the scriptures and they can understand that god is love often better than adults
1: mm-hmm.
0: and they can understand that jesus died for them and they can understand that that god loves them and wants to rescue them and, and forgive them yeah but but like, we should be willing to do some of the work, too, and dive in and you know, learn and, from people.
1: And, and in a way, yeah, learn from people, but also trust the spirit i want to talk about the spirit for just yeah. a second because yeah. i feel like I, I had this conversation in um in my hub the other day so because we've recently joined with the jesus collective sabrina and keith and i are each in hubs where we're meeting with other christian leaders from around the country who are jesus centered and and we were talking about the trinity and they said you might have been too because we we're yeah. talking about the same same content and and i think we've developed this idea of the trinity as two separate right Um, God is here, Jesus is here, and the Holy Spirit is here, right? And, but that's not really, this this weird theology that we have is that there are three that are separate, but also the same, right? So the Spirit is God, the Spirit is Jesus. So Jesus gives His Spirit to us. And we can read the Scriptures through the lens of Jesus by allowing Jesus Himself, His Spirit, to help us interpret, to help us read, to help us understand. We can trust a little bit of that, yeah. and in fact, this always blows people's minds when I say this. You all, when you pick up the Bible, you're trusting that the Spirit of God was active in the council of,
0: Nicaea. what was it,
1: Nicaea yeah. in 300 and something that put the scriptures together and yeah. decided that this gospel is is true and authoritative, and that gospel is heretical. You're trusting that the Spirit told fallible humans to assemble your scriptures in the yeah. first place, so why don't we trust that Jesus can sort of yeah help us read and see the scriptures. Yeah. Um, let's let's and, turn and the page. And we can't do to that the... too
0: far to say, well, I now am the authority. Sure, no, no. The ultimate authority for all interpretation. Like, right. we need to value history as one part. We need to value community witness. We need to value some yeah. of these things. And we trust it... the
1: Spirit works through these scholars that you're talking about as sure, well, right? And, sure, Yeah. yeah. Um, so, now, so now we read the Gospels. So, yeah. how, like, the Gospels are about Jesus. Yeah. How does a Jesus lens change the way we view the Gospels?
0: Well, I think it's important that we understand what the Gospels are trying to say, and that's more than Jesus being a moral teacher. It's that Jesus is the center and savior of the universe. <laughs> like, so, so there should be some awe that we move into instead of, like, I mean, my default is like, let's get to the Sermon on the Mountain, teach me how to love people and do this and that. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. like, we should stand back and look at the works of, of God in the Gospels through Jesus and what it all means and understand i love john because john's like john's the hippie the 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 hippie gospel writer right yeah, yeah. like everybody else is like so let me tell you genealogy and john's like in the beginning <laughs> yeah was the word and the word was with god and the word was god it and like and john's writing, uh you know like a a, a blockbuster yeah. right everybody right. else yeah. is writing a history book and and john's here going nuts with this light and dark imagery and everything but there's such beauty because he is so taken by the wonder of Jesus, mm-hmm. and so I think that we need to to balance maybe those things. Yeah. Um, and yeah. uh, I, yeah.
1: I I like what you were saying earlier. You, you mentioned the um, you know the, the the adulterous woman who yeah. who Jesus in, encountered. Yes, and and you also just now mentioned the Sermon on the Mount. And our I think our tendency is often to go to the easily discernible. Jesus says to do this. Jesus says not to do that. We yeah. go to the rules because it's easy. And in a place where Jesus says, you know don't get divorced, essentially, in the Sermon on the Mount. And then he turns around, and here's a woman who said, you know, yeah. yeah, I know that the man you're with is not your husband, and you've had how many husbands before, but I don't condemn you. And he enters into that story. And he enters he says, into like, that story, like and he, maybe and the he redeems, yeah. exactly, he redeems the whole thing, right? So, yeah. so I think we, we look at the actions of Jesus, we look at how he carries himself in what you were saying, it's always about love first, it's always about people first, and to me, that's a big impact on how a Jesus Lens if, helps me read Scripture, Gospels.
0: If, if, your, if your faith would be radically different, if, uh, if you didn't have the rest of the Scriptures, you only had the Gospels, if your faith would be radically different, then you might need to spend more time in the Gospels. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And reorient yourself. Yeah. Like, if, 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 your, if your understanding of Jesus is not the center that everything else flows from, then you will probably start interpreting some things in in ways that don't look like don't look like what god's ultimate revelation is so i've just i've heard a lot of uh a lot of mentors and stuff have been like you know what we need our churches we just need people to read the gospels for like 10 years and then we can start expanding it i don't agree with that fully but i understand why they're saying it um because so often we we don't place the highest priority on the the life of jesus yeah and if you talk about Jesus' death all the time we love easter right easter and and resurrection
1: but oh and and don't forget christmas and christmas we love that he was born we love that he died so it's the middle bit we struggle with so
0: listen okay okay one one more thing so we get our creeds right which i value yeah but but like our primary christian creeds say you know jesus born of the virgin mary suffered under pontius pilate my whole life's faith is in the comma yeah yeah right It's nothing about Jesus' teachings. If Jesus, if that was the ultimate point, and I'm not trying to rip the creeds, but I am saying they're incomplete as a full understanding of our faith, then Jesus would have just, God would have just let him get killed when Herod was doing it. Because he was a a sacrifice. That's all that was needed. That's not all that was needed. What was needed was a complete reorientation of what God is like. And so we get the life and the teachings of Jesus, not just the birth and death.
1: We could do this all day. I know. Let's let's move move towards some practical steps. So, we we want to give you a challenge
0: this week to engage with Scripture in some cool ways. All right. So, this is easy, but um, like it's easy to, well, no, it looks like a lot. It's not. This can all be done in three to four minutes a day if you want. So, you can take a picture, but we want you to lean in to Ephesians 3 14 to 21. It's a beautiful, beautiful passage, okay? About the, the love of Jesus and the, the all-encompassing area. And, and, there's,
1: and there's a reason we want you to do the same passage every single day this week. Like yes. There is beauty in re-engaging with the same scripture over and over again from different angles, from different ways. So,
0: so the first day is we want you to practice Lexio Divina. Lexio Divina is um, a, a, an ancient way of reading the scriptures that really trusts the Spirit to bring things to the surface. So what you do with that is you just simply sit with the passage and you read it three times, slowly. And each time you invite Jesus to say, what, or what do you want me to pause on? What are you wanting to speak to me? Maybe it's a word, maybe it's a phrase, maybe an image comes into your mind, but you just sit with it and you trust the Spirit. It's a very, very simple. And maybe it's one, one word that God just wants to speak to you that, that emerges. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, so
1: then, and then on Tuesday, you're going to turn the passage into a prayer. So how do you do that? You just find a phrase or a word or something in the scripture that you could pray as a matter of practice. So if you read the scripture that says, love your neighbor, your prayer becomes, Jesus, help me to love my neighbor today. Right. So you simply use the scripture, whatever, whatever in that scripture uh, jumps out at you, you can use that as a prayer throughout your day. First sentence
0: example. For this reason, I kneel before the Father. This is the passage. Um, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And you say, Lord, there are so many families around our world. I pray that they would be able to find your name as their source, as their hope, that they would know your love. Simple like that, right? Just, just beautiful ways. Um, you want me to do Wednesday? Wednesday is real easy, especially with a gift like BibleGateway.com. Uh, you can, we're encouraging you to read the passage in new words, right? Maybe, a, maybe several new translations, but um, if you've been reading it in NIV or New Living, read it in the Message, or read it in the NRSV, or um, something, something different that'll feel like a different paraphrase, different words, maybe you'll see some things fresh.
1: Yeah this this goes back to the idea that there have been you know brilliant scholars throughout the the decades centuries even who who have who have interpreted who have who have translated the scriptures in various ways because it's not our our native language so i would say pick Pick two or three different translations and find some that, that maybe uh, have a little bit more, uh, they lean a little bit more towards literature, right? So things like the King James that are a little bit more um, yeah. flowery language than we're used to. But then other things that are really much more simple, um, the New Living Translation or the Good News Bible or things like that. So, so get kind of a broad spectrum of the different yeah. translations. We
0: wouldn't have mentioned King James. Except Rob was talking the other day about yeah. how he loves that language because he reads like John Milton and stuff like that. So if you're like, if you're an at that major, level, I'm like, by all means, man, go for it. That's great. It's beautiful. It's, it's beautiful, beautiful language. I just, yeah. I'm a modern guy.
1: Okay, Thursday. On Thursday, we want to ask you to memorize scripture. So, this is something that some of us grew up in traditions where we were, you know, sort of it was it was drilled into us that we should memorize scripture. And we don't talk about that a lot here at LifePath, but there's such great value in committing certain passages to memory just because It sort of finds its way into your heart in a way that that becomes a bit more permanent. And and you'd be surprised at how God can recall some of those things into your mind. So we want you to pick one or more verses from this Ephesians passage to just memorize it and just learn it, memorize it, be able to recite it.
0: And then finally, um, it might be a shock to you to realize that the first 1,500 years of the Christian faith, people didn't read the Bible on their own. They read it in community. And so it's really valuable that we understand this is not just an individual exercise. When was Gutenberg's press? Fourteen. Fourteen. Fifteen
1: something. Okay.
0: So, yeah, till then. Um, but pretty much the learning and engaging with the Scripture was done as as a community, very deeply a part of Hebrew culture. Um, but it should still be a part of ours. And so here's an opportunity just to reach out to somebody say, hey, what are you seeing this week? You know? Like, just shoot him an email, text, you know, maybe it's a family member, but just say, what are, what are you seeing, and what's, what's been encouraging to you, and here's what, here's what I'm thinking about because of this passage this week, here's what God's drawing to my mind, and we learn with and from each other, simple as that.
1: And, and I will say, finally, that um, you don't have to do Monday on Monday or Tuesday on sure. Tuesday, right? You could, you could do these in any order, um, but it's just, we're just trying to help you. Uh, we're trying to eliminate as many obstacles as we can for you, and if deciding which one of these five approaches to use on Tuesday is going to be an obstacle, then just do what we told you to do on Tuesday. Yeah. Um, but if you'd rather so. do them in a different order, that's fine, too.
0: All right, so thanks. That was way more than what we were expecting to get into. It's not
1: more than I was I expecting. Had half,
0: I, had, I, had I know you, my two friend. Two and a half cups of coffee. And when we get into this, I feel like I don't want to th- leave too many things unsaid and cause That's confusion. Okay.